strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities. Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix. All right, we are live. Welcome back, everybody, to the Friday Farcast. I am here with Jasper, the astrological cat. And for the first time, live on video, Mr. Russ Winter, all the way from Prague. Great to see you in the flesh and great to see you back in your new adopted hometown, which is right behind me. So, yeah, and I was telling you Russ. before we came on that those buildings up there on the left, that's Old Town Square. We're standing where you are right now. You look over there, they're tilted. They're not straight buildings. <laughs> There's a lot I can, of that I whole, can see that. It's kind of it's, it's sinking, I guess. I don't know. They're, they're really old buildings. I can see that building from my apartment, by the way. Well, that's it. So I guess I, uh, I guess I chose the right graphic here, huh? It's almost yes. like we're, we're we're in the same space in some ways. <laughs> so do you live in a building like one of these over here? One of these older buildings? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's on a it's on a, a, a famous Market Street. And I'm on the top floor. So, yeah, it's uh, not too far. I can walk down that location. Well, it used to walk down easily, but I'm a little bit hobbled. But yeah, I go down there a lot. Well, uh, you, you chose a cool place to live. What's the general mood like in Prague these days? Oh, it's, uh, you know, I've seen the good, you know, so there's just a lot of inflation here. I see, I'm seeing the central bank is saying that, uh, demand is slowing down and I, I know a lot of people are going to be hurt really badly by energy prices i got my i they basically quadrupled in two years wow and they were already pretty high it's not a cheap place for energy right right yeah so well, i don't know what people are going to have to just turn off the uh, gas yeah well it's going to be hard to do come winter time and some of the uh, projections I've heard in terms of energy bills uh, in the winter for places like the UK and Germany are off the charts. Like people paying fifteen hundred dollars a month for their uh, their their heat uh, and electricity in you know in the winter. That's the projected cost, and that's that's serious. I mean, you know, for some people, that's the uh, actual price of their their mortgage or their rent. Fifteen hundred pounds is a lot of money. Yeah, this this country is not as uh, well off as Germany. The incomes aren't as high. The jobs aren't as quite as good. Right. So, and I know that the energy levels are at the same level of Germany. So this country could get hit even a lot worse in Germany because at least people there have some income. Right. Yeah. Well, even that's uh, globally that's changing pretty rapidly. Ford has just announced that they're going to lay off three thousand people. So that's direct employees and associates. And that's huge. Like 3,000 Ford employees says a lot. We've seen the closure of uh, insurance companies in California. What was it? It was Geico. Geico closed up all their offices like overnight in California, like no warning. So they're all going to either a central location or they're, or they're moving their operation online. And this seems to be kind of a worldwide movement right now. Are you there? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. okay. Um, so let's get into your latest column over at winterwatch.net. If, you, if you're not familiar with Russ, he comes on the show uh, the, last, uh, the last Friday of every month. 
So what we do is we talk about um, an article that he has put some time and effort into, and hopefully we can uh, expand on it a little bit and have a really interesting conversation. And that hasn't, uh, that uh, this process hasn't disappointed us at any point in time since we've been doing this. So one of the things we're going to look at today, we're going to start off with today is uh, you wrote a pretty controversial, let me do a screen share here, pretty controversial um, article on the Milgram experiment. And if people are not aware of the Milgram experiment, it was run by Stanley Milgram. And the whole idea was to prove that people could be coerced into acting inhumanely to another human. That was really the, the bottom line of this experiment. And uh, when you dove in, first of all, Russ, what, what prompted you to go back in time and dive into this? Uh, I, you know, I traditionally saw the uh, video, which we could probably look at in a minute. People can size it up. And I, and I just, my instincts at this point are pretty good at hokiness and phoniness. Right. And I said, we got some actors here, including Milgren himself. And at the time they were doing this, you got to keep in mind the context is that they were having the Nuremberg trials. Right. And they were starting the, I mean, the Holocaust narrative was almost non-existent prior to this. And they started drumming that narrative up. And the guy that did the experiment, as we'll see, has these Adolf Eichmann uh, glasses on. He's a dead ringer for Adolf Eichmann. And there's a quote there. If you screen, go down the sc screen where, where Milgren is kind of giving his theory on this stuff, he says, uh, uh, Milgren says, could it be that Eichmann and his million accomplices, right above there, yeah, right there, right up a little bit, next paragraph up, yeah. And his million accomplices in the Holocaust were just following orders. Can we call them all accomplices? So there's a pretty big leap there that there were a million accomplices involved in the Holocaust, you know, carrying out the Holocaust. Uh, I think the evidence points to psychopaths carrying out what you might call the Holocaust, however you define that. The Basically, the, the uh, atrocities carried out against a lot of people in World War II, not just Jews. So the Jews right. don't have a monopoly on it at all. Uh, and so this, get, this gets right, right down to the, the whole, my whole theory and kind of a debate I had with a couple, about three of my readers that came on and challenged my conclusion on this thing. And I don't see, I, I think that most people are intrinsically good. I think they can be fooled. I think they can be tricked. And especially with the resources the crime syndicate has to just pull the wool over people. Right. They can, they can run Rothschild, Rothschild over Rothschild. <laughs> Brodian <people>. slip. <laughs> uh, but the idea that the average Joe Blow or Joe Public will pull a switch and inflict harm and pain on somebody, it's, it's bullshit. Well, they even, they even made a song out of this, a very popular song by Peter Gabriel called we do what we're told this is much later after the fact but he you know he based one of his tracks on the milgram um experiment so let's just take a look at this well you, well, you, well, you know in wartime you can't people will do what they're told if you get the right situation 
such as war. It's, that was total war in World War II. I mean, right. people had no choice. <laughs> they had to carry out orders or they'd hang them. You know, they'd shoot them. Both, like both the Soviet Union and the... Oh, uh, Stal- Stalin made... The, Stalin would, every now and then, he would cap a general in, in, right. in Moscow just to show people that I'm not, you know, screwing around. You do what I'm told, you do what you're told, or you're going to get a bull to the head like this guy. But if you, um, you know, you terrorize a large group of people, yeah, they probably will follow orders, but not in the manner that this ridiculous experiment lays out where you just pay somebody $4 an hour. And then he, I mean, we'll, we'll, we will, we'll watch the video and you can see what you sell. And people were arguing with me by saying, you know, winner, come on, man, people are lemmings they're going to do anything authority tells them and a lot of my readers believe that probably a lot of your viewers believe that i understand that point of view but it's my view that there are psychopaths that carry out this stuff not not joe public and and admittedly since milgram's days there's a lot more psychopaths and, and sort of their associates which i call flying monkeys and there's a lot more of them out there, admittedly, to carry this type of uh, result of this experiment out that wouldn't even bat an eye about shocking somebody just because somebody ordered them to. But the vast majority of people have to be kind of tricked. And they were using the COVID analogy, and I don't think that's a good analogy at all, because that was a massive psychological operation with jo- you know, threats of job loss, right, uh, right. a lot of threats brought to bear. Right. Not not the same at all. Right. And I and I here's here's another piece around this. We're gonna get into the article. Um, I'll read some of it. We're gonna play the video so people can get a bird's eye view of this thing. But if you go back and look at the American, the average American around the time that this was being uh staged, we'll use staged as a as a term here. Uh, the average American was different than the America, the average American today, and I'm not here to to um, uh, you know lionize the 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 American psyche uh, at the beginning of the 1960s or the late 1950s, but by and large, it was a society that had more moral character um, than what we're currently seeing. Like these were people that were uh, generally more independent in terms of their their thoughts or ideologies. Um, yeah, they weren't, they weren't as into moral relativism. Like they weren't, no. So getting people from that time to move off their block, and by the way, say whatever you want about religion, I would say that the majority of Americans at that time were way more religious than they are today. So this would also have to cross a lot of their fundamental values around you know causing harm to another person. So I think the, the stage of who people were at that time doesn't really connect with how they theoretically performed during the experiment. That's just a, you know, a little take on my side. I I agree. Yeah. It's a different time. I mean, you and I, you and I repeat that over and over again. We both do because we're old timers. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. So those were, those were different times, different people. Uh, And not everybody was tried and true and red, white, and blue. But the, the, a lot more, you know, theoretically were. All right, let's get into this a little bit. Uh, the Milgram experiment on obedience to authority figures was a series of 
social psychological experiments conducted by Jewish Yale University psychologist Stanley Milgram, 1933 to 1984. Uh, Milgram first described his research in a 1963 article in the Journal of Abnormal Social Psychology and later discussed his findings in greater depth in his 1974 book, Obedience to Authority and Experimental View. By sheer quinkytink, these impartial Jewish-run experiments began in July 1961, three months after the start of the trial of Germany's Adolf, uh, Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem. This is a really interesting point here, and I think an important one. Yeah, wait till I, you see the, and wait till you see the actor in the film we're going to watch. Well, I, I think what you're saying here, which I think has a lot of merit, is that they needed to like construct and reinforce a narrative Absolutely. post-World post War II, post-Holocaust, to be able to sell this thing um, in a way that made the, the Germans um, vastly culpable. And in doing so, indicting the rest of humanity in their own way. So this is a very sophisticated program in a lot of ways. Um, let's keep going here. Uh, uh, let's see. Here we go. Milgram devised a psychological study to develop the Holocaust narrative, which was being rolled out of mindless goy just bowing to authority. Milgram asked a question. Could it be that Eichmann, and this is your point, and his million accomplices in the Holocaust were just following orders. Could we call them all accomplices? Now the Holocaust is, if, if I mean, I'm not going to go there on what it was, but what it, such that it was, it was a very secretive operation. There's no written orders. Uh, the dirty work was carried out by psychopaths. The Eisenstadt, Eisenstadt, Eisenstadt were, poachers they got poachers to fight partisans and then they got a bunch of guys out of prison that were just hand-picked psychopaths himmler picked these guys out that was a small group right uh, now meanwhile you have a war being fought so there's a lot of partisan activity and some kind of ruthless behavior and clearing out you know kind of my lie type situations that we saw in vietnam where you might go into a village and kill a bunch of people but it affected a wide range of people. Of course, there's well, enslavement going on, but it was not, it wasn't highly organized by me and accomplices. That's my main point. Right, right. So we could, you know, spend an entire show, you know, going into a lot of Who the, did it? Yeah. A, a, lot, a, a lot of, a lot of the um, uh, pieces around the Holocaust that don't fit. Like there's a lot that don't fit. There are also sub narratives as to why these people were there, you know, in the first place, you know, there's this whole idea that like, okay, you're going to be here and you guys um, have this place over there. It's called Israel and you're going to go there, right? Like that's where you're going. And we're going to make sure that we get you there theoretically safely, because what happened was that, you know, once they had the Balfour agreement, and they were literally given mandate Palestine once they chopped everything up after World War One. It's like, okay, this is no longer the Ottoman Empire, which is what happened. So this is now Turkey. And then what we're going to do here is we're going to carve out a piece of this called mandate Palestine. And the and I've talked about this before, and I don't think there's any controversy around this, is that you had a lot of very wealthy upper middle class um 
like merchants in Germany who were Jewish. They they had the you know the clothing stores and they had they had shoe stores and department stores. And quite frankly, they didn't want to leave. They're like, hey, look, great. We love the fact that you guys carved this, you know, wild east out for us, but we really actually like it here. You know, we're doing pretty well here. You know, we don't really want to move from this place where we have, you know, all the all the um, uh, um, luxuries of a modern urban society. So there was that part. And like, again, I don't want to get caught in the weeds here, but there's a lot about that event that doesn't add up. And when you do add certain things up, of course, you get the finger pointed at you and you're you're anti-Semitic and you're, you know, you're anti-Jew or whatever, well, whatever here, those in, things here, are. Here in this right? country, it's against the law to really even talk about it. So I, I can't even go there. Much yeah. As I so, like so, yeah. So just to kind of cap that off, nobody is saying that it didn't happen. What we're saying, something happened. Something what we're happened, saying yeah. is something happened, but the details around what happened and right. why it happened are not as clear as we'd like to 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 believe or even. But, but, but Belgrade would like you to believe that it was a million people that were involved in this operation, and right. that's really a big stretch. And it, it goes about proving stretch. it. It goes about proving it with this experiment, because after all, you could just get a, the somebody to. Uh, you know, I'm not, I use the term goy, maybe that's kind of a pejorative term, but get somebody to push the button. Right. Like get somebody to throw the canister into the shower. Right. Just like that without even thinking, well, some, it, you know, somebody pulled the trigger on people, but who were they? I don't, don't think it was the guy in this experiment. <laughs> so what what's interesting is that you actually, have found that there were there was like more than one Milgram experiment going on. You had Ancona, Ancona and Parison, 68, Rosenham, 69, Mantel, 71, Power and Gein, 72, Killaman Man, 19, Killaman Man. Well, there's a duo. Yeah. Killaman Man. Hey. Um, and then of course Philip Zimbardo, who I've read about in 1971, explored this as the Lucifer effect. Uh, Zimbardo stated that he knew Stan Milgram when he was young because they both hailed from the sh same uh, Jewish hoods of the Bronx, New York today. Zimbardo, uh, the Zimbardo experiment is widely considered bogus and loaded. So there's, another, there's another link if you want to see that. So these are just a bunch of the same tribe right. pushing this narrative. Right, right. And we've seen experiments like this before where it's like, okay, even even if we'll take a basic example, let's say you're a pharmaceutical company and you want to have a certain outcome, right? For a particular drug, it doesn't have to be a COVID drug, but you want to have a certain outcome. So what you do is you set everything up inside of the box where all the parameters of the things that you want to happen. And you, and you control quote unquote, you, the science. <laughs> absolutely. So this isn't that different than any other yeah. modern experiment that we've seen It's like, Oh yeah, well, this works. Well, it worked based on the parameters that you set for it. Meanwhile, outside of those parameters, it's an absolute disaster. So it's the same model. It's just applied in a, in a, in a different laboratory setting. Um, the, so I love that you put teacher and learner in here. That was great. Uh, the teacher and learner 
were taken into an adjacent room where the learner was strapped into what appeared to be an electric chair. The experimenter told participants this was to ensure that the learner could not escape. In one version of the experiment, the young Confederate was sure to mention to the participant that he had a heart condition. I guess you're going to sell that, right, with the heart condition. At some point to the actual test, prior to the actual test, the teacher was given a sample electric shock from the electric shock generator in order to experience firsthand uh, what the shock that the learner would supposedly receive during the experiment would feel like. The teacher and learner were then separated so that they could communicate but not see each other. The teacher began by reading the list of word pairs to the learner. The teacher would then read the first word of each pair and read four possible answers. The learner would press a button to indicate his response if the answer was correct. The teacher would administer a shock to the learner with the voltage increasing in 15 volt increments for each wrong answer. Now, thanks to the wonders of the internet, a video of just how hokey the experiment was can be viewed. Only a very brainwashed pajama person would not detect a high degree of phoniness with the pre-recorded screams and protests. And only a fraudulent actor dressed to resemble Adolf Eichmann would continue with administering the torments for a $4 an hour payment. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Russ. Didn't they say after the fact that everybody that was in that room was faking being shocked? Didn't they say that? Um. Different claims have come come out. I kind of think that that's actually correct because just look at this. We'll look at the video. <laughs> come let's, on, <laughs> let's get to let's, let's get to the video. Let, let's yeah. let's not beat around the bush here. All right. So, so this, this, this Milgram guy is just the character of a neck bearded, big glasses, egghead scientist. All right, here we go. Here's the, Take the test and the in front of the shock generator, please, in the next room. But the experiment was rigged. The victim was an accomplice of the experiment. The victim, according to plan, provided many wrong answers. His verbal responses were standardized on tape, and each protest was coordinated to a particular voltage level on the shock generator. Now, as teacher, you were seated in front of this impressive-looking instrument, That's the shock generator. Its essential feature is a line of switches that goes from 15 volts to 450 volts, and a set of verbal designations that goes from slight shock to moderate shock, strong shock, very strong shock. Intense shock, extreme intensity shock, and finally XXX, danger severe shock. Your job, the experimenter explains to you, is a word pair test. If he gets each answer correctly, fine, you move on to the next pair. But if he makes a mistake, you are instructed to give him an electric shock, starting with 15 volts, and you increase the shock one step on each error. That is incorrect. This one will be 195 volts. There's The learner was hidden from the teacher by a partition. Of course, this was all a simulation. Nothing was really happening. But the learner made very convincing sounds of pain as the shocks increased. This will be at 3.30. And Milgram found, surprisingly and rather horrifyingly, that the majority of people would actually go right to the very highest level if there was some pressure from a man in a white coat who said things like... It's absolutely essential that you continue. Continue, please. Go on. In fact, about 65% of the 
people who he, was, he studied, who were normal volunteers from the ordinary population, actually gave the maximum number of votes. This man was one of those 65%. This one will be 195 votes. The correct one. Let me out of here. Slow. Dance. Let me out of here. Why are you bothering me? Let me out of here. You have no right to keep me here. Let me out. Let me out of here. Let me out. Continue, please. Let me out of here. Why are you bothering me? Let Go me on. out. Let me That's out. Responsible for it. Red. That is incorrect. This will be at 3.30. The correct phrase is rich let me out of boy. Here. Let me out of here. My heart's bothering me. Let me out, I tell you. Let me out of here. Let me out of here. You have no right to hold me here. The next phrase is let fast. Let me out. Let me out. Let me out of here. Let me Bird, out. Bird, car, train, plane. Eventually, the learner pretended to be unconscious. Continue, teacher. That is incorrect. This will be 345. The correct answer is fast bird. What we learned from that experiment is that people will actually do an awful lot uh, when they're put under pressure from authority figures. And the problem is, of course, that when we obey the unjust authority figure, the person who gives us immoral commands, then, of course, awful things can go wrong. All right. So we know that the, that the guys or the people that were on the other side of that screen or wall or whatever, they were in on it. They were not being shot. Right. So the question is, were the guys who were at the desk, were they actors? Were they playing a role? Cause I think that's the big question here. Yeah, I think so. I think the whole thing is staged, acted and right. put forth as scientific research. And then a bunch of follow-up uh, studies replicated it. And it's kind of passed into the lore as uh, factual. This is what people do. They will shock somebody for just because quote unquote an authority figure tells them to. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people will. They're, those are your social paths. They will do it. And they, they're sought out and vetted and put into situations like that. That's a very important distinction in all my work that I do. Right. So what was interesting about the comments um, and I would say 80% of the comments were what I would call either positive or supportive on that. Yeah, on let's that go post. to the ones that were that kind of went at me. Those are the more recent ones. Yeah, let's right, do a little screen share here. Now, it's just what this is is just an attitude towards people in general. And I, I kind of understand it. Let's see. Let's go to. Okay. I think down at the bottom, because these are earlier. So here, okay, right here, M.A. Kaiser. The video may be cartoon world, but the exact same sheep-like behavior gives us real world, gave us real world COVID mania and widespread uptake of clot shots. Sorry, but human nature really is that weak. Now there's a different context I think, don't you? Between COVID well, yeah, mania? I, I, yeah, well, so there, so there, when you look at what happened with the shot, the, the, the two control factors were really, you know, baseline human factors, your livelihood, which is your work, and the other was your family. 
right? Like there are parts of your family who were pro pro shot. You may not have been pro shot, but they were. And you, and you could be arrested for not being in a lockdown. I was almost elected. I was almost elected arrested right. for not being locked down. And I scattered inside and stayed inside. You know, I complied. What well, choice do you have? You want to start well, paying one thousand euro fines? Right. Well, I mean, that's a, a and that's a very valid reality based on a certain part of the world. I mean, even here in the states, it was there were vastly different realities. Like where I am, I didn't have to do anything. Uh, but I know that in places like California, San Francisco, incredibly strict, right? Just like you're not going, you're not getting in the store without a mask. And if you did, you had a bunch of people turn on you, which is a whole different subject. But with COVID, you had those two main factors, which were your livelihood and your family. And, and, fam and it's kind of also a bandwagon effect. So I think bandwagon effect is entirely different from this experiment. It's not even... It's not even close. Yeah, I, and I, and and again, I I think that the field had already been fertilized for you know the, the let's call it the COVID experiment, which was that there was a group of people who would side with like the 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 social um, norms that were anything other than rebelling against the 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 more standard social norms. So for instance, if you were conservative or you thought for yourself or you were an individual, you were considered aberrant. And there were people who checked that other box. They wanted to be on the other side. They wanted to conform. Why did they want to conform? Because it gave them a sense of belonging and it helped demonize the other, right? And the other being Trump supporters or Christians or uh, but see I think a lot of that right. group that you just mentioned are bots and uh, algos I really do I think that they peppered social media with them because oh, that's nasty. you got to remember these people that do these experiments including the one we just are just nasty people they're just liars and frauds and so they will do anything to bend yeah, the propaganda it, 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 yeah. I would agree with you, but I also saw very real world examples yeah. where yep. people were just, and I'm friends with people that live in Marin County, which is, you know, the sort of the hotbed of like new age progressive liberalism and the blowback that they got from people in places like Trader Joe's and, um, and uh, Whole Foods, whatever, right. Was serious. Like, these and people, family members too. And so, family yeah, members. So I, I feel like they set that up, right? They set it up so that there was this idea that conformity in this regard was considered to be good. Non-conformity was considered to be bad and, and evil because it was associated with, you know, uh, Donald Trump or Q or mega, whatever, whatever, whatever that thing was, you know, they had set this thing up. So what they did is they basically inverted everything, right? They completely inverted everything because if you go back to the sixties, like the late sixties, early seventies, most people who were alternative, um, you know, maybe democratic, liberal, progressive, whatever you want to call them, they were anti-corporation. They were anti-corporation, they were anti-big business, they were anti-machine, right? They didn't want to be crushed under the wheels 
of the corporate machine. Well, that script flipped so that when the whole COVID thing came around. Oh, yeah, pro, pro pharma. I mean, pro my pharma, goodness. pro machine. That was like the yeah. thing, right? Maybe they became the, the exact opposite of this so-called, uh, you know, radical revolutionary spirit of the late 60s and early 70s. So I think that part of it was set up. Now, did they have bots and trolls and all these things that have been let, you know, let loose on social media? Absolutely. Abs absolutely. And we're, we're in a time now where we have deep fakes and there could be people that could show up as a so-called expert and they're not even real, right? They're not even real now. So I think there, there's a lot to your point about this. And I also think that they brilliantly created a, a divide and conquer strategy and place people on either side of the box, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, but a complete I don't, operation, psych, psychological operation. Total psychological operation. And I do think it's different than Milgram. There, there are different components, different variables, and it was more either life and life or death with your job or being cut off from people that you theoretically wanted to see and love. For instance, I'll give you one more. We'll, we'll jump into another comment. It, in New York, I think the number is like 50,000 elderly people died in isolation because they're, you know, this so-called virus. And at some point, I think it was okay if you, got a shot or wore a mask or both. So you can see your, your, you know, your elderly parents, but that's a whole other part of this, right? It was like they were using this, the family situation as a cudgel to get people to move along with the program and follow the agenda. So let's take another look at a comment here. Um, there's, my, there's my answer to the guy. I, I've already kind of said this. I said, don't think it's, exact at all most of the COVID operations were heavy-handed coercion and confusion to get people to comply i also think a good portion of the COVID compliance social pressure like okay, i mentioned that malgram in contest was just giving the subject quite unsophisticated simple instructions to inflict actual harm on others as opposed to coercion and black magic to make a poor choice for one stuff oneself now you could trick people <laughs> to make it poor choices right no question especially right. sheep and they are sheeple there are a lot of people that are sheeple and they're kind of weak. I wouldn't really argue that point. But to, uh, to but assume that the Milgram experiment, you know, to say, well, the Milgram experiment was fake, but it it's true because look at COVID nonsense. Uh, so this is an interesting comment. The Milgram experiment takes a kernel of truth, peer pressure proceeds to extrapolate ad absurdum, the big tell, or to use uh, psychobabble terminology, the invisible gorilla in the room is peer pressure doesn't work when total strangers are involved. Um, let's see. Here we go. Hebe's browbeat goys into paying honorable lip service to what was an inside joke until a new miracle of mass communication allows the truth to be uncovered. Milgram and Zimbardo will be flushed down the memory hole as if the multi-decade scam never happened exactly it never happened yeah that that does happen the memory hole is is uh we're you know we're in a memory hole moment with the cur current covid scheme you know that now all of a sudden it's like wow trump did it yeah 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 and then and 
It's and like, oh, Fau- we can, we- and, and Fauci throws up his hand and pleads innocent. I mean, it, it's like the, uh, it's like the guy on uh, Leave It to Beaver. What's the guy's name? <laughs> Mrs. Eddie, ha- Eddie Haskell. Ed, it's like Eddie and all these guys remind me of Eddie Haskell. Oh, you look so lovely today, Mrs. Cleaver. <laughs> I don't know what it says about me, but he was my favorite character on Leave It. <laughs> I have to say, he was. In- I thought Eddie was interesting. You know. You- he had a few more dimensions than Wally, Wally and Beaver. <laughs> Wally and Beaver always wrestled, wrestled with the moral dilemma. Eddie, on the other hand, the moral dilemma, you know, was his right-hand man, right? <laughs> you know, he wound up becoming a cop. That's the, that's the ironic part about Ken Osmond, who played Eddie Haskell. He became a cop in the L.A. Police with Department. all these criminals that ran the covid thing or just acting innocent and said oh yeah maybe i made a few mistakes but no big deal well it's it's so part of this too you get into gaslighting a little bit here but the covid thing has now become a major gaslight moment right it's like oh we never said that oh yeah. well you know we said that but what well we were really waiting for more data you know oh well when the data came through we had to uh, you, you know, readjust our expectations, which is why it's always really good to get that. Not the, not the third shot. Remember, it's not a third shot. It's a booster, right? So there was gaslighting all along the way with this whole COVID event. And they use the, and they use the emergency. See, the whole term emergency is carte blanche for sociopaths to yep. t- take, to step up and do their thing. Yep. And now the big gaslight moment This is a story that's unfolding as we speak. It's Trump, right? Oh, this was his, this was his vaccine. He 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 fell down. Yeah, he he fell down. He's played a role. (laughs) He he did. Who cares? I'm not a Trump supporter. I could care less. He's just one of a number of rascals. But yeah, they zero in on him. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to make him take the total fall. Right. And, And then if you're somebody who, again, I don't, I'm not, you know, casting any blame on any of these people, but if you're somebody who believes in Trump and sees Trump as a symbol of America and patriotism, now what happens now as that person, you either have to defend Trump, right? You have to defend him, even though you may not want to, or you become disillusioned and demoralized which is another part of the game and the strategy. So if you're one of, one of those people, you have to say, well, you know, um, I just have to readjust my, my value system and, and not have it that be that big of a deal. What I know is what I know. And that is, you know, I didn't take it or I didn't support it. And that, that is, um, you know, irrespective and, and independent of Trump. Right. So there are ways to deal with these things. But now it's become orange. This is the next orange man bad. It's yeah, amazing. Cr- it's amazing how they've done that. Yeah, it really is. I, I, in fact, when it started to go on, I was just kind of going, huh? Really? But Trump bears responsibility. He, he no look, denying that. Look, Trump, Trump put the pedal to the metal. He put the pedal to the metal. Now, there are some people who will say that by doing this, he kept the U S out of lockdown, right? Like that was a strategic uh, component on Trump's part 
I don't know if that's true or not. I think he did it because he's in cahoots with the pharma industry and selling uh, vaccines for him. That's my theory. Well, he clearly, clearly uh, supported Bill Gates. He took the money that he was that had been earmarked uh, to the WHO, right? He said, "Oh, we're not, you know, we're not going to give you that money. We're not giving it to you." And a lot of people are like, "Oh, great! Look, he's standing up against the WHO and Tedros." And then what happened? He took that money, and gave it to Gavi, like that. He he rerouted that money to Gavi, which was, you know, the Bill Gates's alliance for this whole thing. So you know, when you really drill down and look at what happened and where the finances yeah, went. All, the, all these authorities are hundred percent on board. Complete scam. Yep. And and then even after, and I've talked about this a lot, but even after he's out of office, you know, he's doing, you know, victory lap after victory lap after victory lap around this. I'm like, you know what, dude, if you have to do it, do it one time and just move on. Right. And do it in a way where it's like, yeah, you know, I was, I was um, proud to be a part of a major team effort that blah, 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 whatever. And then just move on. But he kept bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And it's like, read the room, read the room. This is an interesting comment here. Uh, someone took the trouble to trace as many of the teachers as possible years after they had taken part in the experiment. Virtually all of them said that they had guessed what was going on, but just went along with it. The oh, reason for okay. it was the fact that they didn't want to lose their fee for taking part. What do you think of that comment? Uh, personally, I think the teachers are just in on it too, acting. That's my my belief, but I don't know that this could be true. Right. So, so that's an interesting piece to you know, kind of you know, put on the table here. They figured out it was a fake, right? Like, okay, well, it's a fake, but we're you know we're going to play along with it because well, we want to get paid, right? We want to we you know we want to make our four dollars an hour, which I think back in nineteen sixty three was significant so even if that's true it's still not a, a, an independent like study and look into the human psyche no, and no. coercion that's, that's the main thing it's just totally fraudulent that's the main right. point right i mean it's a, it, it's another you know mark against this experiment um and then mary says sounds about right walter smith um let's see that talks about oh, this one I, right here. Okay, John Mackey. Is he is he a normal? Kind of, does he write look, uh, comments he, a lot? He's 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 a pretty good commentator, but here he's kind of trolling me a little bit. I mean, read how he read how he goes after him. He calls it the most absurd article I've ever written. Tarnishes some of the great other ones that you have written on various topics. That's a troll statement. That's the kind of thing trolls say. Right. Oh, Russ Winter, you really write some good stuff, but this is this one really you really fell down on this one. That's that's no way to argue a point. So I don't know what he's doing. So some of these characters are kind of off kilter. Guys that may otherwise so, say so he good he things. comes right here. He says that's a fact that has proven Milgram a genius. Again, ever hear of COVID? So you have another COVID right. example here. Uh, okay, so explain clearly what is wrong with Milgram's findings and conclusions. Even, Even if the start. experiment seems bogus, come on, man. <laughs> that's, that's circular thinking. That is a really interesting. That sentence. is this classic circular thinking, fuzzy thinking. Right. That's well, the experiment was both, but what are those findings and conclusions? <laughs> well, they were bogus too. Now he's basically saying those were correct, even though the experiment was bogus. I say if the experiment was bogus, then you cast out everything. 
you can't just allow somebody to opine claiming to be right. a scientist. Right. So this gets into another topic, which is how fiercely committed people are to their beliefs. Right. Like, so this thing has contributed to a belief system in this guy's brain. Right. And that belief system creates like a matrix of how he sees the and world. The, and the matrix it, is everybody's a sheeple. Right. Everybody's right. a sheeple. Exactly. And this, and by the way, this is a and, really important And I part. understand, I, I, you know, I understand it. I get it. Yeah. Because if you follow these topics like we do, yeah. or maybe he and I do closely, you can't help but feel that way. Sometimes you just have to divorce yourself and step back from your emotions and kind of evaluate what's really happening to people. Like we That's just did really, earlier. it's really hard to do because people get really invested, right? Whether it's Trump or whether it's a certain uh, belief system or conspiracy theory, they get so invested in it, it becomes like, you know, one of the 10 commandments of their, um, of how they interact and, and view the world. And once that's challenged, like they will fight to keep that alive because if you pull that little Jenga piece out, maybe some of their other ways of viewing the world begin to collapse. And the left has their own version of this. And apparently, so does the so-called right or the truther community. And I think that that's a really telling comment. Yeah, everybody's a sheeple. And I don't agree with that. I mean, And I answered him, no, not everybody is a sheeple. They have, there's different context, different things right. going on. Why right. are you... Why are you supporting the conclusions like this guy opine about a bogus experiment to begin with? It should just be in right there. Right. And so in the story, this is something that I've, I've been working on internally as well. Like how do we approach things that we think are true in our sacred cows that help us define our version of reality. And he comes right out, you know, guns blazing right? Just guns blazing. And, and really, what would be a better approach? It, you know, something like, hey, Russ, I'm a little confused here. You know, why would they do this? You know, I've, you know, I've, I've looked into it. I think it's true. I've seen other people in the world reflect their sheeple-like attitude. But I'm curious as to why you think this has yeah. been because this I way. Think, I think because I think it's psychopaths that are vetted and carry these kind of things out. Well, I look, I agree with you, but I but I think it's the comment. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, the broad the, the broad brush comment of saying all these sheeple just fell for the COVID. Right. It's the commitment. I'm, I'm just more forgiving. You know, I understand a lot of this stuff. I've not I've kind of learned to be a little more forgiving of people. And yeah. I I can. I don't know. You know, there's a book written. There's a book about how to have conversations with people like this by your guy that my son gave to me because sometimes I'm kind of hardcore. Right. Who, who's the guy that was did the street experiment in Portland? Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, Peter Bogosian. Peter Bogosian wrote a really good book about how to process all this stuff. That's right. I don't know if you've seen his I've know the book I know the book I know the you book you just yeah. don't boil you just don't brawl over people you can't you have to have a little bit of empathy for them try to put themselves yourselves in their shoes and that doesn't mean you have to accept everything but if you're going to have a conversation you have to kind of approach it a little more gingerly 
Exactly. So that gets back to the point of that comment, which is, well, yeah, how, I'm an how, idiot. How, I'm an idiot. Can't you see the outcome? Right. 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 And, and, and I, he comes, I, he comes to my site and reads my stuff regularly. And rather than approaching the conversation a little more gingerly, first of all, it kind of pissed me off because I kind of react. I've tend to be reactive. Right. Well, I think, I think it's the wrong approach. Like there's a time and a place to come strong. Right. But in a forum like this, it's like, well, I'm curious, why do you think this is true? Or, you know, I've always thought that this was the way that this thing unfolded and maybe I'm wrong. You know, can you, can you share why you think it happened this way? Yeah. And that's what Peter Bogosian does. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's lessons to be learned from him. And, and, on, and, honest, I've been, and I've been guilty. I've been guilty of some of this stuff. That's we all, we all have, we all have, we all have. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, theoretically we're in trouble because we, we have these talking points and they're boiled down and like, this is my catechism. And if you violate my catechism, then you're wrong. Instead of inquiring, well, why do you think that way? Right? Why do you think that way? Why is this thing, why did this thing happen in the way that you're, 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 laying out that that's a big part of why we can't even have a conversation with yeah because here's an incident where there's another one where a lady comes on and says you can't admit when you're wrong what kind of was that a way to open up a conversation you know so i don't know if they're trolls i don't think i don't think john is i don't think he's a troll because he does have good things to say so here here we are a group that's pretty like-minded and this shit's going on well that's exactly why i'm bringing this up yeah, right. we're not really, we're not diametrically at opposites. No, we're just looking at nuances here. <laughs> right. No, it's like, you know, and, and I've seen this, like, you, you know, you believe this thing or, you know, you've talked to this person. So I'll give, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example here. This is quite funny. I was on with Dave and Giuseppe about three weeks ago. And then after the show, they said something to me and I, I don't have a problem saying to hear in this platform, but there, there, there's a group of people who are really into communitarianism and they've showed up on Dave and Giuseppe's show. They're anti-communitarian. They're, they're anti-communitarian. Thank you. Yeah. They're anti-communitarian, yeah. right? Fine. Whatever. Okay. You know, that's, that's your, um, that's your, that's your flag to bear in this lifetime, that's fine, right? That's your flag. That said, because I went to a quote unquote uh, intentional spiritual community when I was in my 20s, I was 24, I went to a place called Findhorn in Scotland because I thought it was interesting. And I thought it was an alternative model to the madness in the world. So I went and checked it out for a month. This, this you know, very small group of maybe one person is out there basically saying that I'm an agent, right? I'm an agent. I'm an operative because I went to Findhorn and lived there for six months. Well, first of all, as a young I man, <laughs> you know, I didn't live there. I didn't live there for six that's months. What you I was, do when you're young, that's what you do when you're a young man. You can, especially an intelligent person like you, you kind of experiment a little bit. You experiment sure. like what's going on in the world, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, there are things about this model I'm not really down with. 
what else is out there? I didn't live there for six months, but because I went there now, all of a sudden I'm an operative. I'm like, <laughs> if I was an operative, I, 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 I'd hope I'd be living a lot better than I am. Right. <laughs> Some of those operative perks. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that out there. Just kind of. And that, exactly. to me, again, to me, this is problematic. This, these, these are people that are like generally like-minded, and they're exactly chewing, they're chewing your back at your back of your the shoe off of your foot like a yep. dog. Yeah, I mean that's why I try to limit my criticism of people that are doing things that are similar to what I'm doing and what you're doing, and Dave and Giuseppe. Every now and then, <clears throat> there's a line, and sometimes you just got to stand up for something and say, you know, bad actor, gatekeeper, whatever, right? And I'm not a, I'm not above doing that, but I think for me, it's I'm more invested in not getting into that game, right? And yeah, you can to- you can basically agree ninety percent with somebody. You know, I had a I had a very interesting podcast with John Kaminsky. Loved that conversation. You know, he has kind of a sidekick that's. Uh, Patriot, what's his name? Patriot, uh, something or other. Anyway, at the end of that conversation, I said, you know, I agree with these guys on about ninety percent of what they're talking about, and kind of disagree with about ten percent. So what? Right. So I mean, I, I hope they. I mean, I hope they look at me the same way. I would love to go back on that show and talk about anything with those guys. Right. I don't have to be in total agreement. They don't have to be in total agreement with me. Right. Yeah, I well, I, I I'm total agreement with that statement because you know I, you know we're not all we're not all going to agree on the same things, right? And if we did all agree on the same things, it'd be a pretty part of my language boring fucking world, right? It would just be boring. We'd all run around and you know just yap at each other in the echo chamber, and that gets really boring. But you know the the other side of the spectrum about our, we're talking about our movement and our people, so to speak is at least they are mentally invested and they are formulating their philosophies or whatnot at the other end of the spectrum, which I call the pajama people are just worthless. Well, I, I, I I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the first group any time over the pajama people. Oh, I, well, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. The pajama people, you can't even talk to them. You can't even have a conversation with them. And I have tried, uh, you know, in, in, in an experimental mode, doesn't happen, can't happen. Um, I think the hardest part for what we're talking about with our community is that we are individuals. Like, you know, our, you know, we think about things and we try to arrive at an individual conclusion versus consensus, right? They're more consensus driven, they're, they're, you know, we're not that way. So when you get into the individual world, now you have to deal with like the individual ideologies that are related to being an individual. And right. that's that it's that 10% that can be the sticking point sometime, depending yeah. on what that is. Yeah. So the, the biggest challenge for us is how do we retain our individual mindset without just being, you know, islands in, in the sea? Right. Like, can we build bridges between each island so that, you know, we have a, a better way of understanding and being in this world? I think that's our challenge. Yep, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I had a real interesting, speaking of this, uh, 
had a really interesting experience when I was visiting my son because my brother came down. My, bro- my brother's a physicist, smart guy. He's been kind of working really in the defense industry for 40 years. And my son, my son is kind of coming around on 9-11. And we were having a conversation. And he just meet my brother just immediately kind of shuts up, shut, you know, shuts down and starts gaslighting me. And, and he, he called, he'll call me crazy to my face. And so I'd already been prepped with this book. So I was just trying to restrain myself. And I, and I don't know what to do. I said, well, you know, I have a, I have a video I'd like you to watch. It's the new Pearl Harbor. In fact, I would recommend everybody watch that about 9-11. It's kind of very technical. And his point, one of his points was as a physicist that he had a hard time and he had some of his friends had a hard time with the building collapse theory or the building just falling, right? dustifying. He says, yeah, I have a hard time with that. But I was saying, well, what about the planes flying in the building? They could never fly at that altitude. It's, you know, 500 miles an hour, nearly sea level. Come on, they would break up. So oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. So we we're kind of arguing and then he kind of shuts down. And then my son, bless his heart, his last day I was there before I left the next day, he said, well, let's go watch the new Pearl Harbor. I think he'd watched part of it. Mm-hmm. We went down in the basement. I put it on. I just shut my trap. I just let the video speak for itself. And my brother sat there watched it. He left halfway through it, but he, he was stunned. He was really shaken up. And at one point, they were talking about the cell, t- the cell towers being able to make phone calls from a plane at 30,000 feet. And he remarked, well, that, that, no, the debunkers, the debunkers meaning the liars who are debunking the truthers, the, the bunkers are full of it. You can't make a f- cell phone call from that altitude. Well, it turns out at that time, he was working with that technology. <laughs> so he saw yeah. the lies. And then right. my my son is kind of says, boy, these debunkers just lie about everything. One lie right after another. And not a peep from my brother. And finally, I don't know, he got he got through half of it. He didn't never did get to the building collapse part of it. You know, he finally had to leave. He couldn't handle it. He was having a lot of cognitive dissonance pain. And I just wanted to kind of leave him alone. And he made the comments as well. Now I realize it's a a lot more complex and complicated than I previously thought. That was his your, big your brother said that your brother said yeah. that. Yeah. That's actually something, right? That's something. Yeah. He could, yeah. he, he could have yelled at you. He could have gone ad hominem. Right. That's he like, didn't. no, he didn't. And I said to my son, well, I think the days of my brother calling me, you know, gaslighting me and calling me crazy are over. Wow. That's actually, um, see, that's what I'm talking about. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Having the ability to have a conversation with somebody. But I needed an ally. See, I needed my son as an ally on that because yeah. my dad, he's kind of always like an intermediary. Right, I don't think right. my brother considers him a nut like he does me. <laughs> <laughs> but the next morning we had breakfast before my brother left. Didn't say a word about any of this, anything on that video. Didn't bring the cuts topic up, up at all sometimes i think that's all you can do he's he's processing like he's processing it and i think you you uh you exhibited the the right approach 
right? Like you didn't take a jackhammer to it. Right. You just, you just let it happen. Shut, you know, you shut your mouth and let, you know, whoever was watching it come to their own conclusions, which I think is important. And then my son, it's five hours, it's a five hour commitment to watch this thing. My son watched the whole thing. He got drawn into the whole thing. He, he, he's down visiting a friend of his in Houston. He says, my, my buddy wants to watch it. I was talking to him about it. Can you send me the link? So he, he, he's, he was kind of pretty much converted, but not all the way. Now he's, now he's down with it. Wow. Wow. Those are good victories. Those are important, especially when you're dealing with like somebody in your own family, like your son. I mean, that's a huge victory. Um, good job. Now, I, I think you you mentioned after our last video that your son listened to it, and he actually was he he liked it. He thought it was a good video. Yeah, he like he, he like he likes you. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, I get it. I get it. Cause I'm sure my son would, you know, do the same thing. Oh yeah. I like that guy. Uh, that's funny. Cause my son, my son doesn't watch my stuff, but one time, and I've told this story before he was hanging out with his buddies, you know, and they're talking shit with each other. And he's like, Oh, so you don't live with your dad? No, no. I don't what, what does he, what does he do? And he said, well, he's, he's an astrologer and he's got this YouTube channel. What is it? What's his <laughs> yeah. YouTube? So he gave, he gave him my YouTube channel. Right. And so bless his kid's heart. One day, my, my friend, my son is over at his friend's house and all of a sudden he hears my program being played at his friend's house. And he walks in and it's his buddy who he had given my YouTube channel to, who's watching my show. Right. And then there's <laughs> did he another, like, did, he, did he like the show? Well, so there's another time he's on the phone with him and he, <laughs> he, he can hear me in the background on the kid's computer. Right. So my son can hear my show through this kid. And he, and he asked the kid, he said, what, why do you listen to my dad's show? He said, I like it. I, I like his ideas. I think he's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Sometimes being interesting is half the battle. <laughs> that's how it works, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. not my kid, but it was my friend's kid who got into the content. Um, that's how the father-son thing works sometimes. So, right? Yeah, I I totally get that. Well, it, you the know, father, son, the father-son works weird because I, you know, if anybody has any sons, they tend to be they kind of be kind of kind of resistant. But then later on, you realize that they bought in. Right, right. Yeah. And it's never it's never an upfront admission. Oh, Dad, you're right. Absolutely right. That's what I'll do. Down the road, they buy in. Yeah. 90, yeah. 85 percent of the time. <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of truth. Eighty five percent of the, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, God, God bless them. And these kids now, boy, they have a challenging road ahead of them. Very, very challenging road. And um, that's a whole nother show that we can get in on. Um, so recapping, we're going to move off this, recapping your visit. I know you've had a tough time. We talked about it before, but at the end of the day, it sounds like ultimately with your son and even your brother, it was pretty positive. Like 
on the one hand, challenge, stress. On the other hand, you had some breakthroughs while you were here. Yeah, that last day was interesting, definitely, on ter- yeah. in terms of family type stuff. Because right. I just don't think that my brother's going to be calling me a nutcase anymore after that, after he watched that. And I would challenge anybody that's facing the same thing. Yeah. To try to get somebody to just watch the watch that documentary. It's called The New Pearl Harbor. You'll have to it can, it's on YouTube, but you can't find it on YouTube. If you, do, if you search it on YouTube, you can't find it. Just enter it under, under Google and still up there. It's amazing. Well, I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes so people can can go there and um, spend some time there and give you some I, ammo in terms of dealing with the friends and family members that are open. I mean, people had to be a little bit open. I knew my brother was open because he was he, he was having a hard time buying into the building collapse. He's that intelligence, you know. Right. He's a, he's a PhD. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so the, you're getting back to like the 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 science of belief or the basis of belief. When somebody is confronted with something that is outside of their belief or philosophical foundation that is true or challenges it, that's one of the most, I think, dangerous things that can happen to a person because, again, things can unravel for them, right? They have to really reexamine like a lot of things that they believed in. Yep. I mean, I I talk about my experience in Prague that winter in 2013, when I kind of started viewing these things and how much pain I was in. I was, I was crying. My inner child was lost. So you can't, you can't just show up, you know, you can't show up with even like-minded people and just say, Hey, your idea is absurd or you can't winter. You can't admit when you're wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not wrong about this Milgram thing. I got news for you. <laughs> well, I'll take a stand on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, the timing and the frequency with which the experiment, so-called experiment, was created and recreated, to me, sounds like we're here to sell narrative. Here's the narrative. This thing happened, and a million people were complicit, and... This is the basis and the foundation of all humanity. You're all sheep. You're all, and I don't, and I'm, I'm in your camp. I don't, I don't agree with that. I do believe that there's circumstances that, that, you know, that are outside of that, outside of that box. Um, I wanted to talk about some of these other social experiments that, that uh, I kind of brought to the table before you got on, we got on the show today. And one of the social experiments that I got into which is um, a really bizarre one. And it happened in California. Uh, and it was in, uh, I believe, uh, Menlo Park, California, which is just right down the road from uh, uh, Stanford. And it was this thing called the third wave experiment. And if people haven't looked into it, I, I highly suggest you spend a little time um, there was a documentary made out of it. And I want to go into the, uh, the Wikipedia page here, which, which talks about it. Now, this is just down the road from where they had the Stanford prison experiment. So the third wave experiment was an experimental social movement created by California high school history teacher, Ron Jones in 1967 to explain how the German population could have accepted the actions of the Nazi regime during the rise of the Third Reich 
in the Second World War. So they're framing it in a particular way, right? This is the same thing that they're doing with the Milgram experiment, right? They're framing it. While Jones taught his students about Nazi Germany during his senior level contemporary world history class, Jones found it difficult to explain how the German people could have accepted the actions of the Nazis. He decided to create a fictional social movement as a demonstration of the appeal of fascism. Over the course of five days or nine, according to student uh, Sherry Tulsi, Jones, a member of the SDS, that's interesting. Yeah. Students for a Democratic Radical. Society, right? right? Radical group. Uh, Coverly. What's, what's the story of Jones? What's his pedigree? You, you ever look into that? Yeah, a little bit. Let's just go in here. So an American writer, formerly teacher in Palo Alto, he's internationally known for his classroom exercise called The Third Wave uh, in the book he wrote about that event, which inspired the made-for-TV movie, The Wave and other works, including a theatrical film in 2008, the original what's, TV what's movie. His, what's his, what, who are his parents? <laughs> um, it says he was raised uh, in the Sunset District in San Francisco. Oh, here we go. There you go. There you go. Okay, yeah. so here... <laughs> It's a cliche. The Judar goes out. It gets ridiculous. A, I'm the guy sorry. The changed his name, you know, to Jones. To it's a cliche. I'm sorry. It's a cliche. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, I mean, it's a cliche. And I hate to to point out the cliche, but there are all these commonalities. You know, John, right? you know, John in his comments, I hate to get excited over this. John in his comments says, what does Milgram being a Jew have anything to do with it? Really? I mean, you, must, you have the Judar of a... Ant? Is that the deal? The insect? Well, I, I again, you have to look at the context, right? The context of the time being that they're going to sell an event, you know, an event that becomes very important. This, I, I'll tell you what, this stuff is organized. This is organized. This is not just some school teacher you know, getting a bug I think on. That, I, think that, I think that's a great point. Now, listen, here, this gets into my belief system wheelhouse. If somebody told me that all these kids in that school were in on it to make this thing look the way it is, I'd have to revisit my, my, you know, what I thought about this event. I go, you know what? That's interesting. I might have to, I might have to rethink, you know, the programming around the event itself. It was kind of a big deal at that time. So. But I, I interrupted you for a point in point, but continue on. Let's, let's take a look at this experiment. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let me go back. Um, Aren't you glad I interrupted you? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's no, it's good. It's good. Let's go back to Jones himself a little bit here. Jones. Uh, let's see. In April 1967, while working as a teacher at Coverly High School, so it was in Palo Alto, Jones created a project with his 15-year-old world history students in which they experienced the growth of a fascist movement called the Wave. Jones intended for this to be only a week-long exercise. He designed a lesson plan, which included a salute, a slogan, and a secret police force. The experiment was ended by Jones after complaints from teachers and parents. Jones then revealed it was an exercise intended to give students a direct experience of how easily they could be misled into believing like fascists. So there you go. It's right in the pocket, drawing parallels to the rise of the National Socialist Movement in Germany, Jones and says, they, he, and they, you know, and he has the connections to even make a made for TV movie on this. Not, come on. Not everybody has those kind of connections to make a movie out of this. 
Think about it. So he says Jones says that he was refused tenure at Coverly High School as a result of his anti-war activities two years after the experiment. There were large student protests against this decision. Jones has spent the past 30 years working with people with mental disabilities and has written a number okay, of Okay, well, so he's anti-war. That's kind of in his favor. I mean, I don't want to be too hard on him on that. But... Right. Um, he was a supporter of the Black Panthers. So the guy's a socialist. Die hard. Leftist, yeah. Leftist socialist. Um, so this was going on, not at the same time, but just four years after we have the Milgram experiment, we have the wave and then up the road in Stanford, we have the Stanford prison experiment, which is kind of similar, right? Where the students become the jailers and the prisoners and they play all these different roles. Uh, and then of course the, uh, the outcome is very similar, right? The outcome is, well, this is what people do to each other. So do with it what yeah, you the, want. The prison right? experiment, the prison experiments, what I've seen, footage of that has a certain staged quality to it right yeah well th this was the foundation of the psychological and the psychiatric work at that time then we get into the whole realm of cybernetics uh, which is another field of theoretical mind control and we could probably do just two hours alone on on uh, on cybernetics and just for people who are not aware of cybernetics uh, it was started by uh, norbert weiner and a lot of his uh, associates where they were doing uh, the early experiments around mind control you got uh, margaret mead hans Vine forster gregory bateson ross ashby john von neumann and then weiner so maybe you know maybe what we could do well, that, notice notice who's Who's, who's funding this? Now, this is the Macy Foundation, and they're they're tied into Marcuse and right. uh, these this Frankfurt School, right? Wealthy Jewish philanthropist foundation, and they right. found a lot of money into some of these characters, right? Yep. So a lot of this work uh, is very prevalent during the 1960s, and in a lot of ways, it becomes the tabula rasa for uh, mind control, mind control experimentation, whether it's real or staged, it becomes the narrative for, for uh, the world that we, you know, we live in and inhabit. And now we have layers and layers and layers of technology and and things like bots and deep fakes and well whole, it's also worth mentioning marcusa again who wrote the authoritarian personality right and I, i've read the main components of that book and, so, and the accusations he makes the, the characteristics of authoritarian personality are just upright individuals it's, it's just almost a joke you know that they like uh, opera and classical stuff and it's, 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 it just tarnishes this i don't know what the correct word is is for it upright well, upright individuals so part of the frankfurt school uh and the frankfurt school being sort of again the foundation for tavistock and a lot of these other uh, groups who are engaged in social engineering uh, and Marcuse has a pretty uh, 
he's got a, a pretty big See if you can find anything resume. about how he describes the authoritarian personality, if you could find something on that. Well, so I have, I have, I have an article on it somewhere, but uh, let's see. Let's see if we can do this. Here, let's do this. Let's just do a real-time search. Now, look, you notice he's transferred to the OSS. He's working for the OSS on right. anti-Nazi pro pro propaganda projects, right. precursor of the Central Intelligence Agency. Langer, I have a major article on Langer we could get into. Langer what? brought in all these guys. Langer, he's the guy that brought, just infested the CIA with these German Jews and uh, Frankfurt School people. Interesting. Uh, so what's his background? Uh, you know, go to my article, Inner Langer, and just go through that article a little bit. That's All what right. we're looking at. If you go to my, yeah, my uh, we got time. We could, this is probably an important one to cover. I nail this guy. Cause I go into some official documents, official letters that he wrote. I'm not just making accusations here. So you wrote this um, last year, November. November 24th. William Langer's newest history, the OSS and the Frankfurt School. Is this the article? Yeah, now the, the new school is at Columbia University. So the following is an excerpt from a CIA letter written by Robert Gates to Bobby Ray Inman, director of the NSA. And he says, uh, the history of CIA university relations is the name of it letter smoking gun that proves the infestation of American intelligence by Jewish German Jewish specifically German Jewish Frankfurt school and intellectuals so they just took them right out of Frankfurt school here and, I'll read this uh, okay. recruited the prominent Harvard historian William Langer this is an actual letter between Gates and Inman uh, the two then set to work to invite outstanding scholars to the social sciences in the social sciences to join their board of analysts and enlist additional staff. A large number of university professors were brought into the OSS. As the intelligence organization was renamed in 1942, they included G.T. Robinson, professor of Russian history at Columbia, who was made chief of the Russian section. Hadjo Holborn, Holborn uh, professor of history at Yale, Franz Neumann of the New School for Social Research at Interestly, Herbert Marcusa. Harvard made no small contribution to this intellectual talent bank, contributing scholars such as Crane Brinton and H. Stuart Hughes in history, Carlton Kuhn in anthropology, John King, Fairbank in Oriental Studies, Bruce Hopper in government, Henry Murray in psychology, and others. <clears throat> so they're talking about like a brain drain and bringing them all into like one. Yeah, and then it's kind of worth seeing what Langer himself is pushing because he was into U.S. foreign policy, mm -hmm. uh, and he and he what he did is try to counter U.S. isolationism because the U.S. had sort of an anti-war sentiment at the time, and he was one of the main propagandists to drum up war sentiment. Right, that was a big deal. It's like they had to get Americans out of their clamshell so they could you know send their sons 
to foreign countries uh, for the grinder. And there was a lot of heavy programming around that. There's still this to this day, by the way. So he, so he mentions Fran, Franz Newman, who is from the New School for Social Research. Even Wikipedia gives us what we really need to know. Newman was a German Jewish political activist and Marxist theorist. He's best known for his theoretical analysis of national socialism. And he worked for the OSS from 1943 to 45. So the whole work on national socialism is done by some big adversaries. Right, right. Together with Ernst Frankel and uh, Arnold Bergstrasser, uh, Neumann is considered to be among the founders of modern political science in the Federal Republic of Germany. So what's really interesting, um, you know, who does a lot of really good work on Marcuse is James Lindsay, who's a buddy of Peter Bogosian's. They're the ones that did the uh, the study, the, the fake papers. Um, and if you have time, if anybody has time, go to James Lindsay's new discourses on his YouTube channel and get into the stuff that he does on Marcuse. Uh, it's brilliant. And he, he knows Marcuse's work inside and out and links it back to um, like Hegel, for instance, like, you know, Marcuse pulls all this stuff from Hegel, brings it into the present and the context of modern socialism and also Things like um, radical gay politics, which Marcuse also tends to traffic in. Uh, he, wrote, right. he wrote Eros and Civilization, right? right. So, and I say the short version is that Eros, the principle of pleasure and leisure and hedonism, should f flourish. So that was all about pushing people into, you know, staring at their navels, basically. Right, right. And contributes to a lot of the... Again, the 60s are just a for me the bad, the bad, the the, bad zeitgeist that took hold. The, the the 60s are this you know this this bedrock of essentially reconstituting our society. You know, and I'm not approved there were some interesting things in the 60s, but it also created an incredible amount of chaos and the worst thing that I think happened to the 60s in the 60s was the beginning of the decimation of the black family. That's huge. And, and it just continues to get worse and worse and worse until our present time. So a lot of this in the sixties is, you know, try, what is it uh, turn on, tune in, drop out. Right. And that's the navel gazing that you're talking about. And you have people like Marcuse and Tim Leary and all these other so-called social it's interesting that we, that we just randomly took a name Jones went through the Wikipedia and popped up the interconnections to all these other characters, including right. Langer, just, just by reading the Wikipedia. I do yeah. this all the time. Now I've never heard of Jones before. Yep. So now I know of another op operative. Yeah. You got some more That's content. The point. That's the point. Yeah. They're all, they're all in this together. It's like the turtle and the fence post theory. There's, and they promote each other. Right. They do a big, uh, uh, peer reviews on each other and high five each other. They promote each other. They get themselves into academia. Now, apparently Jones didn't do that well. That kind of surprises me because he had an anti-war bent that he went on. So that might've been, he might've been a little different, but. So my, here's my, here's my theory. My theory is that there is like a hub and there are a hub of influencers and, and the influencers tend to be academic in this case, we're looking at 
in, you know, academic influence. So they get into academia and then through fronts um, like the CIA, like their ideas are promulgated. And then outside of that hub, downstream, I think you have people like Jones. And Jones had probably had a predilection for these ideas. And so he takes up these ideas. He might have a sponsor. He might have somebody that he's working with to help him promote this stuff. Right. Maybe he meets him through SDS or whatever. Right. But he's not part of that hub. He's like downstream. So maybe, maybe (laughs) I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's downstream. Right. Because I do think that there are people who are well-intentioned and they get caught up in this. Right. And they get caught up in the, in the fervor of the crusade. I I don't think those people get very far though. Well, look at Jones. Clearly he didn't. Right. Right. Right, uh, you know, he, he he had a dead end. Right, he he did not go on to some other institutional success. You know, he couldn't even he couldn't even get his teacher job back at Cumberland High School. So I, this is what I think. I think that there are some people who get you know they they're they're downstream. They're part of the ideology. They do a certain thing. Maybe they have a handler or two along the way, and then they become what useful dupes, useful idiots. That, that's that's my take. But I do believe that there are a core and network of influencers who are here to promulgate these ideas. How much there are. And, and, and I just showed you the influence of CIA and placing these people. Absolutely. Uh, the highest levels of intelligence. And that's really amplified now. It's amped up big time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, plus, they have all the uh, compromise on everybody, and just they—they have really created a monster with this type of stuff. Yep. And they have, of course, we have the Smith Munt Act, um, which Obama took care of when he was president, which allowed the CIA to produce propaganda within the continental U.S. Prior to that, it was like, no, we're not going to do it here. We'll save it for a regime change somewhere else, and. Trump never addressed that when he was president. That was the no. one thing. Well, there are a couple of things. There's a big thing that Trump probably immediately should have flipped. So we're not doing this anymore. But, you know, Mike, what about Mike, what about some of Trump's attorney generals that just refused to get involved in the burning down of the country? Well, Sessions. The, the funny thing about Sessions was like prior to Trump. Naming I'm him. mostly talking about Barr. Well, I'll get into Barr in a second. Okay. But, okay. but Sessions, Sessions was like a hot ticket. Like all these conservatives loved Sessions. And it was like, oh, great. We've got Jeff Sessions in there. You know, that little bulldog. He's going to take care of him. And what does he do from the, from the start? He recuses himself. At that point, he's useless. He's totally useless. He, can't, he cannot, you know, help Trump in any way, shape, or form. So how long do we have sessions for? For almost almost two years. They bring Barr, they, they, have, a, they have that intermediary guy. For yeah, because they bring Barr in because he defends presidents. That's his, that's, he's a functionary that's- That's right. They had that just, guy that was- He, just, he creates a that. whole universe of nonsense around presidents to give them power. So my take, the on, opposite. my take on Barr is that Barr is a fixer. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. He, he's a fixer and he's there- to keep Trump from being impeached. That's the deal. I think that was the deal. And he said, I'll take care of it. And don't worry about it. Now, the thing with Barr 
is the connection to Jeffrey Epstein because Barr's father hired Epstein uh, at the school that Barr's father ran in New York. He hired Jeffrey Epstein as a, as a teacher there, right? He also, Barr's father wrote a sci-fi book about pedophilia. So it's like, whoa, what's going on here? And then you look at Barr and his relationship with Epstein. He has a, he actually had a legal relationship with Epstein at some point. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? And, and then he does nothing really in terms of some important, the election of 2020. The, the only he does thing nothing, he does nothing in terms of the black of the uh, George Floyd riots just pretty much stood down. So when 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 um, when he was hired, when when Barr was hired, he was hired to basically keep Trump from getting impeached. This is my theory, and part of Barr's deal was that he was going to manage the Epstein affair. Like that was his thing. Like Barr is attorney general when Epstein gets picked up, gets taken to that Southern district court in, uh, in jail in New York. And then all that high strange happens on Barr's watch. And I well, think, Trump, Barr, because, you know, part of it is Trump's connected with Epstein's too. So he is connected. He is, but they're fellow travelers in that sense. But Barr was going. Barr is the guy who, again, look at the connection between his father, Epstein. He had a legal relationship with Epstein, just like Alan Dershowitz had a legal. He had a Alan Dershowitz had a personal and a legal relationship with Epstein. Both. He'd been on that plane six times. Oh, but nothing ever happened when I was there. I just got a massage. From an old Russian lady. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. Oh. Old Russian lady. Old 28-year-old Russian lady. <laughs> yeah. Ver versus the 16-year-old Russian lady right, that, right. that could have been available. Um, yeah. So I think I think that was the deal. Barr didn't do anything except get in the way of Trump being impeached. Because he was the guy that was there when it all went down. And the Senate, the Senate said no. And the way that Barr conducted that press conference it was like no sorry no not happening there's no peace yeah, just, to me it just felt like it was just all orchestrated to collapse the a deliberate takedown of the trump presidency and get people all riled up that's my theory well yeah so there's a there's a series all theater there's a there's a series that um i've talked about before that's available on youtube and it was i think it was produced in 1987 it's a mini series i think there's like 15 episodes it's called america with a k and uh it's it's i highly recommend it to people and it's about the the soviet takedown of the united states now you may think that it's implausible but there are things inside of that series that will blow your mind and you'll look around you'll say well that's happened and that's happened, and this is happening. One of the things that they bring up is there's a group of kids who are, you know, rambunctious and rebellious, and they go to a they go to a, a concert, and the concert, the band is spewing out this kind of you know anti-communist rhetoric, right? It's been very angry and very loud, and gets the kids fired up, and then the the the, the band exhorts the kids to go out and take care of business and the kids go out and they 
you know, they trash these cars and burn these cars. Where did we see that? Right. Like, where did we see that before? So, so then what happens is that the people who are in charge of Intel and propaganda, they basically said, yeah, we did that. We staged the concert. We put a few cop cars out there and allowed them to smash them and burn them. And we gave them the idea that they were actually, you know, part of the revolution or, you know, or, or part of the resistance. You know, we had people on the inside, we rounded them up and uh, we do this. We do this to give them like a pressure release. It's like a release valve, but none of it matters. Right. So, you know, we've seen a lot of these things happen over the past couple of years. I highly recommend that series. It's, it's um, the only thing is, is that it's internal. It's not necessarily a foreign element that's doing this, as the show may have implied. It's well, internal. It's, so a, it's, it's a captured it's internally. Yes, yeah. exactly. But they're showing you, right? They're showing the you methods. Yeah, the, the methods and the, the techniques. Methods. Yeah, it's yeah. real. And I, I think it's an important series, um, and it's it's worth spending some time with. It is not. It, it is not, uh, how do I say this? Uh, it's not hopeful. Like there's not a lot of optimism in the series. And I will, I will give away something that one of the things that comes out of it is that uh, there's a character played by Robert Urich, the guy from Vegas. Um, and he is this individual who, who believes that the old America is over and that he's going to be the bridge between the, these new influencers and, um, and the old America. He's like, this is the way it is. Somebody's got to do it. I'm going to be the guy that's going to do it. And hopefully I can reinfuse this new version of America with a K with some of the old values. And uh, it's, you know, it's a slippery slope, right? And I think ultimately that's where they want to go. They want to destroy America as we know it. They want to have a new model and they'll have somebody come in who says, well, you know, this is going to be the new thing and I represent the best of what was, but we're going to take those things and move it forward for the betterment of, you know, the greater good or whatever they, you know, however we want to slice and dice it. That's in, that's in the series. And I think ultimately that's where they want to take this. Yeah, the new the new America for them consists of employing the Milgram experiment and rounding up people like the teachers in the experiment. Right. The, totally bogus. Right. Yep. And we're yeah. and in reality, the psychopaths and sociopaths are all working for them right. by and large. Yeah. Yeah. And the challenge now is the technology. You know, the technology is really challenged because we have, we have deep fakes, you know, I have, there are, there's a series of Tom Cruise deep fakes that'll blow your mind. Like you have to really, really look at Tom Cruise and say, well, that's not quite Tom Cruise. But if you weren't really looking, you, you would think it was Tom Cruise. So he's actually doing the deep fake videos. Like he's in on it, right? Well, so we I think, have. I, I think Joe Biden is deep fake half the time. I would say I I would agree with you. I would totally agree with you. He's either a deep fake, you know, late latex uh, mass president. Combination. I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know if they roll the iteration or his doppelganger out once in a while, but I think most of the time they don't even bother with that. It's a deep fake. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know, and that's a hard thing to parse with reality now. 
and so these, you know, these experiments where they could kind of fake it and fake the results and kind of bottle it up and recreate it in other places. Like now it's, it's really like the, the Uvalde thing. You know, when you go and you really look at this whole Uvalde thing, it's like, good luck. Like good luck really trying to find out what happened there because there's so, there's so many like potential versions yeah, right. So many masks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, you know, we're living in a time where people have to be really discerning about things that happen and what they believe the truth to be, which goes back to the, the beginning of our conversation, you know, try not to latch on to things, you know, as much, you know, let it play out a little bit. That's how I've evolved. It's like, I used to jump into shit and now it's like, well, let me wait a little bit and let me see, you know, how this thing plays out. I don't, I don't have to be committed from the jump. Right. I mean, I think there's some wisdom to that approach. They can, they deep six things pretty fast though. I mean, if you go start looking for Uvalde or the Buffalo supermarket shooting, there's not much there. You would think there'd be a lot there. No, no, the internet is just, the internet is disappearing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just it's like, where did, all, where did this event even go? It seems like a fairly significant crime. Right. Yep. So there's a guy by the name of uh, black pigeon on YouTube uh, who I've always liked. I've, he's a Canadian. I've always found his videos to be interesting. And he did an experiment on the disappearing internet and he typed something in, I think Canadian truckers or something like that. And Google had, you know, 3 million views, right? Or 3 million possible matches for that, that search. So he went through it. He went through one page, another page, another, and it ended at around page 40, right? It's like, you couldn't go past page 40. So if there are 3 million hits on Canadian truckers, why is Google only showing 40, <laughs> 40 pages, so this is what he's talking about. This is how they disappear yeah, yeah. material. Right. They'll tell you there's all these things, but they're not going to take you to any. And, and, and I guarantee you those 40 pages, 80% are going to be either mainstream media or hit pieces or the things that they want you to think about the thing. This is that, where that, that's now. what's so tough about following up on events. It's just that, I mean, I was kind of looking I've done a lot on, on these stage deceptions to kind of see what might come up. You know, hey, there should be some photos out there taken by real people. Nothing. Yeah. And it just disappears into the ethers like it yep. never happened. Yeah. I think that's I think that's part of the black magic. Oh, this happened, but it didn't really happen. You don't need to know anymore. Right. The black magic and the gaslighting. The gaslighting. Well, I knew that that happened. I knew that, you know, there were these guys who were running away in the woods, you know, from the Sandy Hook Elementary School. What were those guys doing? You know, who were they? Well, that video doesn't exist anymore. So to your point, it's like, well, I know that. Well, no, you don't. How do you know? How do you know? You know, there's no there's no video around it anymore. It doesn't exist. So they're they're playing unless with you caught, Unless you caught a glimpse of it really pretty quickly. <laughs> Well, you, 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 so, you know, backing things up, 
you know, doing bookmarks, bookmarking pages. Like I have a, a shit ton of bookmarks and it would be interesting for me to go back and see what I bookmarked. Oh yeah. The, I mean, I, I, I have, I have, a, I have a like, I have liked YouTube videos that I created. I think they're controversial. I'm not just looking at music. I, I listen to music too on YouTube, but I went back to kind of look at their, see if they're still around. 70% of them are gone at least by, by now. I probably they're even more don't even exist. Right. Right. So this is, this is a, this is a big issue. And then, and then BitChute has a very tough search function where you can't really search things very well. It has a very poor algorithm for coming, you know, coming up with results. Yep. Something's going on there too. It's always been that way. BitChute has, that's been one of the main complaints about BitChute is that their search engine is horrible. But why? Uh, is that on purpose? Um, so uh, here's my theory about BitChute. It's very hard to monetize. It's, it's hard for BitChute to monetize itself. You're not going to get advertisers for the majority of the, because of the majority of the content. Right. So I think BitChute has limited resources available to it. So you can't really develop a dynamic search algorithmic engine, right? They probably take whatever money they have in order to keep their basic infrastructure. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because unlike YouTube, which can be monetized maximally, you, you won't find sponsors for BitChute. They just won't go there. So I think it's a function of their inability to grow. That's my, that's my take. I'd like to think of it that way. Yeah. And, then, and, the other, and there's other sites BitChute like that are too small, don't have enough content. You can find things there, but not really not very often. So Rumble, I, I post my shows on Rumble, uh, my daily show. And Rumble has a better search engine than BitChute. Um, but those are podcasts, right? No, no. You, you can stream live on Rumble. You can upload video to Rumble. There's no, I've never encountered any kind of censorship issues on Rumble. So, um, but again, their search engine, I think is better than BitChute but you have to know what you're looking for. Um, and that is a bit problematic, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer to how we, you know, maintain these archives uh, because I think at some point, if we keep going down the path that we're going, especially from the political perspective, uh, I saw a video yesterday. I don't know if it's a joke or not, but it's a video of Drew Barrymore and she's in a rainstorm. Uh, like, you know, medium summer rain thing. And she's like, oh, I love the rain. I love frolicking in the rain. And then there's this influencer from TikTok who comes on and she, I don't know if she's a parody or not, but she says, you know, uh, black creators on TikTok have certain things that you can't violate. And one of those things is frolicking in the rain, right? <laughs> I swear to God, right? This thing has gone viral. And, uh, and I don't know if it's, tr I don't it's know. like that. It's like that street, the street theater thing where they come in and we represent transgenders and we, we lay down the law. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. People laying, people laying down the law about yeah. what you can't, 
to criticize Drew Barrymore for frolicking in the rain. Like it's right. petty, I guess. Well, well, no, it's systemically racist. That's the that's the message. And you don't know whether she's making fun of the people or not, right? There's like this really extremely thin line of parody or not. Because it's, it's, if it's not parody, it's ridiculous. But there are people who will believe that to be true, right? And so you, you set up this whole thing where all of a sudden now it becomes a talking point for a da- very dangerous ideology. And, you know, that leads to this whole discussion around systemic racism, which I've talked about. And in systemic racism, everything is racist. So it all must go, including the books, including the movies, including, you know, videos of like a band like Tower of Power from the 1970s where the, you know, the, the band members are multiracial. That's got to go. It's all, oh, no, we, we used to hang out together. We used to jam together. We used to party together. No, 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 that's not there anymore, right? So that's the memory hole. That is the ultimate um, manifestation of the memory hole. And that part actually concerns me because I could see that happening. And it's already happening with some of the stuff we're talking about. Yeah, the term, the term for it is clown world. Yeah, yeah, it is clown world. So uh, what's, you know, we come to this point, like, what do you do? You know, what do we do about all this? And uh, for me personally, I I just, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what they want me to do, which is I'm not going to be afraid. Uh, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to make connections with people. Uh, I'm going to be cordial and pleasant and and respectful unless otherwise shown differently in which case I reserve the right to be an asshole. And, and I, that to me, that's, that's where we have to be. You know, I talked about this with Dave and Giuseppe, you know, both of those guys are artists and musicians. And it's like, what, what have they done? They've taken the joy out of creating and being artistic and being musical. And it's like, that's where we got to be. That's where we have to plant our flag is in these parts of our experience. They're vital. It's what makes us human. So, I know it's not a huge solution to the problem, but it's one that we can practice every day. How do you retain your humanity, your creativity, your imagination, your spirit of being open to other people unless otherwise notified, right? That's that to me, that's the only thing that I think we can do at this point. And mockery. I think mockery plays a role. Mockery plays a very good role, right? I mean, showing. I, the lo- I love. I love to run my memes. I have my memes that I run daily on my site. It's, right. it's actually gotten to be almost the, my favorite part of the site. <laughs> well, that, that, the that keep, it keeps things funny, right? It's like the me- the memes are the killer app. They're really the killer app. They're not my memes, but I find them and I I kind of collect them and put them up. I change them every day. If people haven't been to my site, you should go see some of them. It's I'll tell you, little, it's comedic relief most of the time and I'll, a great I'll, mockery. A great source of memes is David Avocado Wolf. He is the meme master. So if you follow him on Twitter, this guy has plenty of memes for your arsenal. Um, I'll start following him. I didn't know about him. Yeah, unless, I've stu- unless I've lifted some of his by accident, other people running up. <laughs> you might have. D- David is David is an interesting character because I knew him in California. And he's he's this he's like this health guru. And when I knew him in California, he was, you know, I'd say pretty 
pretty liberal, pretty new age, pretty progressive. I used to like hang out with parties and I had lunch with him one time. And, um, and then he flipped, like he flipped the switch and he got red pilled and he left, he, he left California. He moved to Houston and, you know, now we, you know, we could probably consider him a member of our team. Right. So that, to me, he's interesting because he was like a very different kind of person, but now he's all in. So well, there's a lot, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of left people swing from the left. Yeah. Surprising that number. I mean, I can't, at one time I can't consider myself kind of a Portland, Oregon progressive. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I got, I got all that, but that was kind of a different type of ideology than what, what's developed. Well, I, I, I think when you look at, you know, the kind of the ideas around something like that, they're, they're not bad ideas. They're like very humane and, you know, you don't want people to suffer poverty and, you know, the social net and all that stuff. Right. War, I, I think the, 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 war know, war, the war issue, but now the left has become fucking warmongers. Yeah. I, the, mean, what, I mean, I remember, I remember being involved in Portland, some great anti-war marches in the, in the nineties, like 91. But, right. Yeah. Well, that was the time. Uh, or, or, or 2003, even. Even 2003, there's some anti-war. Where that? Where's that now? They've been occupying oh. Iraq for 19 years. Yep. Yep. Where are these people? I mean, this is total hijacking is what it is. Capture and hijacking. Well, yeah, absolutely. And it was. it's interesting because you go back, to the best of my ability, when I go back and I think of the media coverage post 9-11, all the networks were telling the same story. Fox, CNN, um, the major networks, ABC, NBC. Yeah, CBS. how could that even be possible? Exactly. In a real in a real media, in terms of major media, how could that even be possible that everybody's towing the line? They were towing the line. They had they were they all had the same talking points. They all had hired these ex-military guys who were contractors who were basically paid to go on these shows didn't matter what network it was and show the war. That's exactly what they did. So now, and, and, and if they ever made any mistakes like, you know, Larry Pullet Silverstein or Silverstein or the world trade center falling in the background and BBC announcing, <laughs> announcing the fall of the building before it even happened. Those, those are, Ethered too. Right. Yeah. I used to, I used to go to this uh, website called um, let's roll and it was a, a forum website. And back in the day, it was the mother load for all things, nine 11. I learned so much from that, from that forum. And eventually um, something happened to it. It got corrupted. They had to take it down. They rebuilt it. I haven't been back in a long time, but um Talk about a memory hole. I mean, if that somebody, site was somebody, still, somebody hack it and just yeah, destroy everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if if that site had had been, if it was still in existence at the same level that I was reading the content back in 2010 and 2011, like a lot of that stuff is absolutely startling. Like one of the things that they had figured out, and again, this is all memory hole stuff that's been scrubbed, is that they were able to look at the people who were on these flights and they went one by one by one and CNN 
had their um, uh, profiles and they were absolutely able to find out that those people were in essence other people, right? That they had like different reality. Yeah, they were cutouts. There were total cutouts. And that was on that site. And it was like, wow, that's gone now. Um, the CNN profiles of these people, they're gone now because that's what they were they were basing it on. This, there was just so much that was connected to that website. Just memory hold. Yeah, I, I remember that site, but I haven't been to it for a long time for obvious reasons. I never come across it because I stumble right. across things. Right, right. And when, when I found that, I spent hours going through the various posts and just learning a ton of stuff. And it was the first time I'd, I'd run across the hollow towers theory. You know, when you, you could look at the light of the sun being shown through the buildings, it's like, there's really nothing between the first, like, I don't know, five or six floors and then the top three or four floors, right? There was like nothing there. It was almost like the buildings were created to fall. You know, like, like that was their thing, right? So, oh, wow, hollow towers. And then you get into the debris field. There's nothing in the debris field. You can't find any desks. You can't find right. anything, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's, yeah, New, New Pearl Harbor gets into that. They found, yeah. I think they found like a little slight pieces of the office files, maybe pieces of it, nothing else. Impossible. Um, and then... There was the first time I ran across the B thing, which was the art group. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I have, an, I have a post on that, the gelatin. Gelatin, and- yeah. So I was like, wow, look at these characters. What were they doing I mean, there? I've, I've assembled a lot of this stuff in my in my my work, my, travail, my travails and this stuff. I've assembled it so people... <laughs> I'm not a bad resource for some of this stuff. No, and I kind of get to the point. It's not. I'm not real long-winded. It kind of gets to the point. Kind of what's the appetite? Right. Yeah. Well, so I guess the moral of the story here is uh, protect your information. <laughs> Make sure you got yeah. backups. Right. Make sure yeah. you got backups. Well, what's your next subject? You just uh, let your curiosity kind of guide you well you- I, I we can do a little intro of our next show because we were maybe talking about doing one on sigmund freud next month yeah let's work Hit let's that get, one hard yeah let's go down Give the freud rabbit hole little, you can do a little more research on him and I, I have an article that i put up today that you can get a start and he, he's another one of these big influencers oh he's huge total nonsense Just yep like john yep. money we've talked about him and Alfred Kinsey, big big influencers, heavily promoted by their usual suspects. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, Freud is uh, the, he's the psychological mindset for the 20th century. He creates the tableau for the 20th century. Uh, and on the other side of that, you have Einstein with science. So these two characters. Yeah, so we'll get into Freud uh, next time, and it'll be the last Friday of September. So by that time, uh, we'll be, we'll be in the fall. So it'll be a very different atmosphere, uh, for us up here in the Northern hemispheres. Russ, thanks for being on. It's always great to have you here. Yep. Enjoyed it as always, Robert. Thanks a lot. See you in a month. And it's been great seeing you right to this point. You've been a disembodied voice, but we know that there's 
There's a yeah, body so that go, goes along. Go, go look up uh, Tex Winter. And there's photos of him all over the place during his coaching days. And see if you can find something in the 1990s and tell me who I look like. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because when I, when, I, when you popped on today, I'm like, wow, you look like your father, right? Yeah. And I was just telling, I was telling a story. Sometimes I go into the, look in the mirror when it's a little bit dark and I look in the mirror and I go, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper agrees with you. Russ, yeah. you're doing great work, man. Keep it up. Appreciate okay, what you do. All right. We'll see thanks, you next Robert. month. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was the great Russ winner. Another uh, wide-ranging discussion uh, for two hours. Uh, his website, winterwatch.net. Uh, Russ's dad, we haven't really talked about it very much. Uh, it's because it's, it's neither here nor there, but Russ, Russ's dad is Tex Winter, who is widely considered one of the most influential coaches in the history of basketball. Uh, his father created a, an offense called the Triangle, and uh, he was uh, the top assistant for Phil Jackson with the uh, Chicago Bulls and the Los Angeles Lakers. And together, what did they win? I think seven rings. And his father's in the uh, basketball hall of fame. So, uh, and when you look at Tex Winter and Russ Winter, well, guess what? They look alike. Jasper, do we look alike? I think you're a little more handsome than I am. That's what I think. I think you're a little more handsome. Um, some housekeeping here before we get off the air. We'll be on on Sunday night, Sunday night Astro Live. And I have some ideas about what I'm going to talk about, but uh, as always, that's open to uh, change. That's open to change. Flux and permutation. Um, what else? Anything else? Oh, yesterday's show on 15minutesdeflame.com. Wound up getting cut off at the end of the show because I was so engrossed with the material then I lost track of the time. So I've been, I've been doing my best to edit that and put it in a uh, format that uh, BoxCast can uh, accept. So I did that today. And hopefully, as soon as I'm off the show here, I can go back and, and BoxCast will be able to uh, accept that uh, version of the show. So I, I continued on after uh, it got cut off. Cause a lot of people were like, Oh my God, it got cut off. I wanted to hear more. So I'm working on it and hopefully that'll be up there on the, uh, on the box cast side of things. And I'll have a podcast. So this will be turned into a podcast as well. All right. Thanks everybody. Uh, appreciate all of you. Uh, use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart to stay open to what's possible from myself and uh, the golden one, Jasper, the astrological cat. We'll see you on Saturday.